So we're going to get into the Word this morning. So last week, my own Word challenged me. Get that? I heard it said that actually people preach because they need to hear the Word most. And so I am preaching this Word because I need to hear this most. And we finished off last week about our place Your place, our place in the world. The world is always trying to tell you what place or person you should be. And we felt God said, get in place. The world is trying to shift you and rock your place. God says, I want you in your place, that your place in me is firm. And last week, we talked about the Ezekiel 22 passage, which God looked for someone to stand in the gap, to be someone that would be an advocate for broken in this world. Amen. And so our place is the gap. And so I wanted to delve in a a little bit. I don't know how long for, as I said, week to week, I'm just leaning into the Holy Spirit saying, Holy Spirit, where do you want to go? And he just put a pause button on this word in the gap and said, I want you to talk about what it means for a Christian to be in the gap in this moment. Amen. That we are not people that are bystanders. We are not people that just watch what the world is doing in this moment. No, we are people that are active, that are moving, that we want to see God's kingdom come about. And so I want you to ask yourself to take stock in this moment. How do you feel in this moment? How do you feel in living in the gap right now as a Christian? See, for us, it's really hard because we've got to love people. I want to love people. I want to tell them a better story. But so often there's this tension of this person's view, this person's view. And I feel like as a follower of Jesus, as I've given myself to understanding and loving this word, as I delve into scripture, I feel like I'm more and more in the tension of loving people yet wanting to see truth come about. And if your heart's not aching in this moment, I would question, like Kara said, how's your love for Jesus right now? Because I don't think it's an easy walk that we've got right now. This isn't just picking a side and hoping for the best. No, we're in the middle of understanding. And and what happens to me? Anger stirs in a moment, right? I see an injustice. I see the world like shutting down in different areas of voices, abortions, about child trafficking, I get angry about that kind of stuff, that God, where are you in this injustice that we see on this planet? What are you doing right now? And I see people saying things left, right, and center, and then compassion comes to my heart for people who don't understand. And then that Facebook post comes up, and my anger goes back up again. Waves of emotions have been flooding, tiredness, endless frustration, but then to moments of peace, contentment. And then right back down to anger and sadness. Can anyone testify to your kind of roller coaster of emotions right now? That no matter what says on the media, suddenly something new. But I feel stuck in this gap. And Jesus' whole ministry was contending in the gap. His kingdom brought about a new pathway of salvation, a new living. But it was radical, right? I mean, Jesus was creating a gap. We had the religious order, and within the religious order, there was this gap being formed. We had the Sadducees, the Pharisees, pointing, how can you be the Son of God? How can you be the Messiah? What you're saying, that is not true. You cannot associate with sinners and still call yourself religious. And he was causing this gap, 
His very ministry caused a radical gap. I love this final prayer that Jesus said upon before going to the cross. John 17, 15. Do not take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. In other words, leave them in the gap. The people that follow Jesus, that follow me, leave them in the gap and let them be the transformation of this world. And so I want to jump into a passage today. So if you have your Bibles today, would you turn to Matthew 5? We're going to be delving into the the Sermon on the Mount, just the first uh, little teaching after the Beatitudes. And uh, this teaching of Sermon on the Mount between Matthew 5 and 7 is the cornerstone, the foundation for all of the New Testament. In fact, they don't even quote Jesus, but it echoes throughout. And so we are at ground zero for as a follower of Jesus. And I felt it was a good place for us to start. So we're going to be in Matthew 5, 11 to 16. And just some context here. So Jesus has opened the doors wide, right, with the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the poor, blessed are the weak, the weak in spirit. He said, all of you who were called non-blessed because of your status, I now say that you are blessed in this kingdom of God. Open wide the doors. Come to me, all who are broken. Like never before, you were an optimist. If you were an outcast of society, if you were broken, if you were poor, for once you were blessed. For once you were not discarded. And so everyone has this optimism boiling up inside of them. And so Matthew, and Matthew the gospel writer, he continues in verse 11, we're going to read, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me, Jesus. Be glad and exceedingly joyful, for your reward is in heaven is great, absolutely inexhaustible, this great reward is, for in this same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Can you imagine that moment? Already you are like Yes, Jesus, I'm going to be part of your kingdom. I love that. And as you're signing on the paper to say part of your kingdom, blessed are you when you're insulted, when you're cussed out, when you are falsely accused because of me, Jesus. Suddenly stop in that moment. You're like, wait a minute. What am I signing up for again? What is, what is happening right now? This is an old story, Jesus. We're already a persecuted people. We're already under oppression. And you're calling this blessed? You're saying that the Romans who are oppressing us right now, because of that, you say that if we follow you in your name, we're blessed. And he's like, yep. And even better than that, I want you to have a good attitude about it. I want you to be joyful about it. In fact, I love the translation of joyful. In fact, throw a party when you are persecuted, when you are shut down, when the voices come against you. Be glad, exceedingly joyful. Can we smile this morning, church? That where there is shutting down happening across America, where they try and shut down the song where they try and shut down the voice, where social media is trying to restrict the voice of God, can we smile in this moment and rejoice? So interesting that Jesus tempers the 
optimism of this kingdom that is so amazing and says there will be suffering because my way is different. I'm bringing a pathway in the gap that no one likes. And it's radical for us as well because no one wants to hear that, right? No one wants to hear those words of be joyful. No, I want to take to social media. I want to say what I want to say in this moment. I want to let people know how angry that I am in this moment, Jesus. I want to take up arms. And for all of us, this is offensive to us, right? For this, this rubs you the wrong way. If this doesn't rub you the wrong way, I don't know, like it rubs me the wrong way to, to have this attitude rather than what I want to do, what I want to say in the moment. Like, God, you're asking a tough thing. But this joy, and we're talking about joy today in the gap, this joy is a driving force that we see throughout all of Scripture. Romans picks up on it. That even though in your suffering counted as joy because of the transformation that's occurring to you, Paul, while in chains, oppressed by people that he belonged to that tried to push him into prison, right? This isn't even like oppression of the Romans. The Romans didn't know what to do with Paul. They were like, we don't see what's wrong, what's the big deal? And these Pharisees are pushing him into jail because of his own people he was persecuted, Paul was. Chained, and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. James picks on him, count it all joy, all joy. Not part, but all joy, the trials and things that you face. This echo that Jesus started at the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount, this pivotal teaching Count it joy in your suffering. There's weight to that. And so we're saying, Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, in the gap, in the now and not yet, I want you to take joy. I think it's helpful for us to even look at the definition of joy in this moment. As a Christian, it gets all sorts of convoluted, and I think it's always appropriate for us to always remind ourselves of what joy is. And John Piper has a really good definition that I want to break apart today. A good feeling is joy in the soul, produced by the Holy Spirit, causing you to see the glory of Jesus Christ in the Word and in the world. I'll read that again. It's a good feeling in the soul that produced by the Holy Spirit causing you to see the glory of Jesus Christ in the Word and in the world. Start with a good feeling. Joy is a good feeling. It's not an idea. It's actually not a choice. And I want to make this clear because I fall into the trap of the optimism. I'm super positive. On a strength finders, I am number two. And so I am always going to be an optimist. I'm always going to be someone that is going for the hills and believing for the best. But it's not a choice. It's an emotion. How many of you have mastered controlling your emotions? Anyone in this place really good at mastering their emotions? Please help me if that is the case. Because you've been given an emotions for a reason, to feel, to express. And for some people, it's really hard to hide their emotions. Some people really like to wear them on their sleeves, and they will let you know how their emotions are 
feeling in that moment. If a, a bear came into this room right now, we would not decide in that moment to feel fear or run. We would be, you know, it wouldn't be this moment. The bear comes in, hmm, what should I feel in this moment? Joy, should I feel sadness? No, I'm going to run for my life. Emotions are taking over me. Emotions are not a choice. But yet we fall into that trap, right? How many of you have been told, feel joy? Just feel it. Just choose joy. And what we do is we try to feel joy, must feel happy, must feel happy as my kids are screaming around me right now as work and voices are pulling on me, must feel joy. And yet in that moment, shame begins to flood my soul because I can't do it. I can't take joy. My emotions are over coming me. And so shame, which is complete opposite of joy, overthrows me. And so we fall into the same trap over and over again. The Bible calls us to many things that we cannot control. How many of you are really good at making yourself have a tender heart? How many of you are really good at just saying, heart, be tender? Anyone good at that? How many of you are good at loving your enemies? You know, I'm just like, yep, going to love people who hate me all day long. Easy. All of us cannot control a feeling. And so I want you to understand that. It is a feeling that you cannot control. And it's in the soul. It's good to know where in the body it is. It is in the soul. It's an obvious one. But a lot of times we try and make ourselves feel joyful, right? By looking after my body. Body is a massive part. We believe in mind, soul, and body that you should look after your body. But so often we try and make ourselves joyful by trying to create good feelings in our body, trying to relax more, try and do those things that make us feel good in that moment, right? I try and look after my joy through my body, and that doesn't work either. If I'm meant to have joy when suffering is happening, when I'm in chains, when persecution, when things aren't happening the way that I want them to happen, I'm going to lose my joy pretty quickly in that moment. So it's in the soul. It's not in the material part of my being. It is in the immaterial of my being. The soul is where the joy resolves. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. I think this is a fundamental part to this saying that John Piper has. And a reassurance to us. As we abide in the Spirit, as John 15 talks about, abiding in the Spirit. As you remain in the presence of God, as you Get close to the Holy Spirit and let Him draw near to you and let Him flood your soul. He is the producer of the Holy Spirit. We know the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all the goodness in the world. In Galatians 5, He is our source, not you. It causes me to see the glory of Jesus Christ. That actually, as we know, the Holy Spirit is the teacher, the advocate that is causing you to look upon Jesus. And so if you're, the Holy Spirit inside of you is not causing you to gaze upon Jesus, I would question the Spirit that is driving your joy in that moment. Every time the Holy Spirit is leading you to the cornerstone, the substance that is Jesus Christ, to give you the view. And so that's why Paul could say, I rejoice in the Lord. Always, again, I say rejoice in the Lord. Because he knew that that is where his joy came from. Some of the substance of Jesus Christ. And we all know this, right? In the room, I believe that you know this. And that we need reminded in this moment of that truth. 
that we have our source produced by the Holy Spirit who is pointing us to the true joy. It was the joy set before Jesus that he went to the cross, knowing that on the other side he saw you and me redeemed and free. That was the joy that was causing him. And finally, when we see Jesus, when we've got the right lens to see, we see the world and we see the Word rightly. When my kids have taken to jumping on my back all of a sudden, right? I've got ages six, soon to be seven, four, and two. So we're always having fun. Whenever you lie on the ground, you're in trouble because they will attack you. Um, a couple of my friends over here will know that. It's what happens to us. And so they start jumping on my back, but without telling me is a new thing. So I'm just sitting down, working through some stuff like this, and bang, on the back of my back, I get hit. I'm like, and I'm 35 now. I've got to watch my back, right? I'm starting to get this stage where it's like things don't operate. When I wake up in the morning, I'm a little sore. I do go to the gym. I do try to work out to keep myself in shape. But I'm getting these hits. And when I get a hit from unknown spaces, I'm like, oh, my back, be careful. Watch it. But it's different. I mean, my son, he's only like 50 pounds, not anything heavy, right? But if I go to lift weights, when I go to do like a squat or anything, it's easy because I've prepared myself. I've focused upon what it is, and I have lifted and prepared myself. If we were in a state as Christians, always preparing ourselves for joy, see, even when the curveballs come, when the weight of life comes upon you, if you're already focusing on the right thing, when you're focusing on Jesus Christ, let that lens be the focus in which you see the world and the Word. Everything comes alive. And that joy begins to flood your soul. So those are just some really helpful things. Was that helpful to you? I love that. A good feeling, so you cannot control it. It is in your soul. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. So rather than you trying to make a good feeling happen, let it be produced by the Holy Spirit. If you haven't got joy in this moment, how's your quiet space? How's your space and your intimacy with the Father? It causes you then to see the glory of Jesus. Not yourself, not your situations or circumstances, but Jesus. And then you see the Word, and you see the world differently. But suddenly you get to rejoice and be joyful of just looking outside at the goodness of God. That the simple things of this world suddenly cause joy within your soul. And that's what I want to live for. So let's jump back into the Matthew text here. Because I want to put a layer upon this teaching. Because Jesus suddenly goes into a mini parable about salt and light. Now, I know the text is doing a lot more than just joy, but would we put joy, the lens of joy, upon this parable? And I think it will help us how we live joyfully and how we can impact the world with our joy in this. And so if we read the text here, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, its purpose in the Amplified, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and walked on by people when the walkways are wet and slippery. I want to talk about salt-like joy. Salt-like joy. Like, Johnny, that's a little weird kind of expression there. Salt-like joy, isn't it? Like, ugh, and uh kind of moment. But I think that salt has some really interesting characteristics that really apply to joy in our lives. Purity. 
So salt was used in animal sacrifices. It was to purify the sacrifice. I think about joy in that moment. That joy, when it enters a room, it purifies the room. It cleanses the room. You know when you walk into a room, there's stuff. You're walking into a room, suddenly the atmosphere changes. Something in your heart sinks a little. Know that in that moment that your joy as a Christian, Rachel was telling me uh, yesterday she went into a store and this woman at the checkout area was not loving her life. Um, She was pretty upset. I don't know what store she was in, so just to save face there. But she was just kind of down. And Rachel's really good at lighting up a room. And she makes it to a point to go to those people. Hey, if you ever met my wife, she's got a big smile on her. How are you doing today? And she suddenly perked up and I'm doing well. Someone's noticed me. And so she went upon about her shopping and then got to the checkout and they had a conversation. And suddenly in that moment, joy was brought to that woman. We know that we have this opportunity that if we lean into joy, we can purify a room. That even in this moment with all our brokenness or sufferings or things that we've all come from different stories, right? We've got our stuff. That when we come together, that we can worship Jesus because of him who has brought freedom into our lives, that we come with confidence into his throne room, and then we purify the room with joy. Wonderful joy. Flavor. I think about flavor with salt. It's pretty strong flavor, right? I made the mistake one time. My mum was on some sort of diet, getting rid of sugar out the house. I love a good bowl of cereal before I go to bed here and there. And so I go in there, I put my cornflakes in a bowl, I put the milk on, and what I think is sugar, a little spreading over there, it is not sugar. I take a big bite, and it's salt, straight salt in the mouth, and I am gagging on it, spitting it out all over the place, and I hated it so much. And actually, I still remember the taste of straight salt taking. It is a horrible flavor, but it is powerful. Uh, For many of you, you might be a person that adds salt before you even taste your food. How many of these people do we have in the room that adds salt regardless of what the situation is? (laughs) Your food is already way too salty, so don't even try it. When Rachel adds it, I'm just like, what are you doing? Do you have taste buds? Like, sorry, honey. Um, But to me, it's like overwhelmed, but the flavor brings out something amazing that it actually brings to life. What once was boring suddenly has flavor to it. And so joy is like that. When it comes into the room, it brings some flavor. I love Charles Spurgeon says this quote, There is a marvelous medicine, power in joy. Most medicines are distasteful, but this which is the best of all medicines is sweet to the taste and comforting to the heart. This blessed joy is very contagious to the one that is dolorous spirit brings a kind of plague to the house. So that person who is moody, grumpy, their spirit brings a plague to the house. Does that resonate right now? One person who is wretched seems to stop all the birds from singing. You ever met that person that stops all the birds from singing? They're just one of these people that has this aroma around them and everything just seems to die and wilt as they walk along. This is the person that Charles is describing right here. They stop the birds from singing wherever he goes. But the grace of joy is contagious. Holy joy will oil the wheels of your life's machinery. 
holy joy will strengthen you for your labor, your daily labor. Holy joy will beautify you and give you an influence over the lives of others. Isn't that good? Do you want to have that in your life, that flavor that when someone says, I like to be around them? Are you a good flavor? Or are you someone that's distasteful? Someone that's like chucked to the floor? Like in the analogy of where salt has no longer lost its purpose, it's thrown to just be walked on. Do you have no flavor to your life? Do you have joy, the medicine flowing through you? Thirdly, it's a preservative. I love that a preservative, it, pers- uh, it brings substance and consistency to an atmosphere. It preserves an atmosphere. Salt rever- preserves food. I cannot get that word today. Preserve, preserve. To spread. And so I love the idea that we could maybe even preserve the atmosphere. That your joy does not need to be overthrown by something else. But actually it can overthrow something else. Love that. And so we just want to carry on with our text there. Oh, one final point actually, which I like. Um, Sprinkling of salt. If you have a high density of something, it doesn't taste good. But when it's sprinkled right all over, and that's why I think vocation is so important, for your flavor to be out in the world, to be a vocational. So whether you're a teacher, whether you're in the beauty industry, whether you're in business, whether you're doing whatever role, a mother in the household, right? If we brought the flavoring, the sprinkling of joy sprinkled out, how contagious would that be? And so we carry on just with our story here, our teaching. Jesus then changes the metaphor, and he looks at and says this, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Now, I want you to catch this. This is so incredibly powerful. And so Jesus is touching on something deep within the Jewish tradition. This is something that would have resonated with a Jewish listener. We don't quite understand it. Yeah, light of the world is something I sang as a kid. Who cares? But this in Isaiah 42, 6, 7 says this. I, the Lord, have called you into righteousness. So Isaiah is prophesying over the Jewish people. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for all the people and be a light for the Gentiles, to be a light for all nations in other translations, to open the eyes of the blind, to free the captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Now, did Israel live up to that prophecy? No. Good job. Well done. It wasn't a difficult question. It was just, yep, no. No, they did not. And so they needed a Messiah. And I love that in Matthew, in chapter, in fact, even just the previous uh, chapter 2 and chapter 4, he prophesies from Isaiah and says, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. Matthew is being intentional about this idea of light. We see in John in the opening passage of John, where he is the word and the word and the light has not overcome, been overcome. It overcame darkness. So Jesus is the light. But you notice what Jesus does in that moment? He says, now you are the light. 
Now, I know that we can sit here pretty happily and be like, yeah, I'm the light. That's wonderful. But for these guys, they would have lived this out. Jesus, you're saying that I am an overcoming light. You're saying that the prophecy of Isaiah, that we are the light now because of you, King Jesus, that no longer the darkness that surrounds us, that we are now, in fact, light shining. Simple principle right now. If you had a lit up room and you walked into a closet and opened the door, does the darkness suddenly come flooding out and darken the room? No, thank you. Does not do that. Light invades the space. Light always invades the space. That is the dynamic that when God spoke into existence, the very first words, let there be light, that now that we take on that characteristic, that we are light bringers, that your joy is a light bringer to the rooms of darkness. I'm just causing you to understand your identity today. I'm just reorientating your identity that no matter how dark the world is trying to say it is, you are a light. And this is the chance for the church to shine. We haven't seen Americans come back to the church, if we're honest, right? We've not certainly seen this influx of people returning because of situations. And so we need to be the light that goes outside of the walls. And so I love that Jesus carries on this analogy that now you are this light that was promised in Isaiah. You are now the light again through the King Jesus. And he has this other line. You are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Let's pause here for a second. Illumination. Now again, the Jewish uh, listener of the day would have heard this and completely got the context right. We don't have street lights during the day. When you're a traveler traveling at night, when you don't think you're going to make it to a town, suddenly a city illuminates the whole area. You can now see on your pathway. I feel that's such a cool analogy that your joy is so radiant that it enables you to see your pathway, but not just your pathway, but the pathway of others. Have you ever made good decisions when all sorts of fear and lack of joy is occurring in your life? Do we make rash decisions? Do we make decisions that are far too quick in that moment? But when we're happy, when we like at the moment we've got the decision of trying to decide if we're going to send our Elijah to cyber school or whether we're going to send him to school, and it's just this endless wrestling. It's like, you know, Rach, what happens if we have joy in this moment? What happens if we have joy in this moment? And suddenly it doesn't matter which one we choose. Both are okay. It doesn't matter because joy is surrounding. God will have his way either way. It doesn't matter. The end, the joy is in the end. And it's not in the present of my feelings. It's in King Jesus. So either way, it doesn't matter. A pediatrician even said that, actually, which I thought was really cool. She said the fear is more of a problem than the indecisiveness of people, of which decision to make. So choose joy in that moment. Let it illuminate other people's paths. Let's finish up the text here. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, because that would be silly, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to the whole house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that you may see your good deeds and moral excellence and recognize and honor and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Sometimes we can think about this and be like, you know what, I know I've got to be a light, but how do I do that? 
Do I get on social media and just be a visual light all the time? Do I get a bullhorn and start yelling and shouting, I'm the light, you need the light? I like how the text lands here and says, let your light shine before men so that you may see your good deeds and moral excellence. So be known for your good works. Known your good actions. Your lampstand of light, your joy that is going to spread is through good works. Can we be joyful workers come Monday? Can we put a smile on our face even though you've got a mask covering your face? Can you let your eyes shine? What would it mean to be a joyful worker? So many Christians I meet don't build this ethic, and I'm guilty as. When it comes around Monday or Wednesday or Friday, just let me get out of this Friday. You know, I just want to get out of here. But what if I chose joy in that moment? Would people listen to me more when I actually have a truth to say to them rather than the, the negativity of the world? Would people actually go, you know what, I respect the way he works. I respect how no matter the situation, he seems to have a joy that I just don't have. I'm going to listen to that person. I'm going to listen to that lady as she speaks in that moment. I think our voice has way more power Our joy when joy is at the light, when we're letting it overcome the darkness, when it's illuminating other people, and it is the driving force for our good works. I think it's really, really powerful. And so just to land here today, there's one part that really interested me. Under a basket. We're all hiding our lights, if we're honest. And so what is your basket today that is holding you back from letting your joy shine? Sometimes I think about the yesterdays. That's a term I started coining for our past shame and pain, for the generational curses that have happened. What are your yesterdays? The things that won't let you go, that hold you tight and captive. I'm pretty sure that those are the baskets that are holding you back from being the shining light in this place. It's the past that so easily ensnares our joy because it influences our future. I love that this house, we offer something called RTF, Restoring the Foundations, which deals with a lot of the generational curses. And if you don't know what that means, I'd love to chat to you about that. But we are impacted by generational choices. We are impacted by our own things that we speak over our lives, our own statements that we make over our lives. And we don't even realize, I will never, da, 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 da. that will never, da, da, da. I will never, da, 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 da. If we think about that in our heads right now, those baskets that we put over our light, over our lights that God has given us to uniquely shine, what is your yesterday that's holding you back? And even now, just even as we pray and open up today, I love Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't submit to the basket that is holding back your light today because freedom has a purpose in your life today. Freedom has something that is going to give you new life, and God has given you freedom. I wish that we would even promote this for salvation. So often we just promote salvation like this. Do you want to be clear of all your past? 
And everyone's like, yes, I do. Do you want to go to heaven? Yes, I do. And then we sell people short in that moment. Because the grace of God is not just about washing away what was past. It empowers you to live the light of joy in your world. That actually you become world transformers. That's our vision of this church. A transforming people that transform their worlds. If we let the light, the joy in ourselves, illuminate out throughout this world throughout your world, throughout your family, throughout your life, what would happen? What's your basket today? Can we pray? Father, I just thank you for this word. Lord, in the gap. In the gap that we stand right now. God, I just want to pray for hearts right now. God, I thank you that you are our joy and you are our source. And so I just want to pray for the first persons today. Maybe they've just lost their joy. They've lost the identity of being someone that is called to joy. They've tried to make it themselves and they're just not happy. That it's been based on happiness rather than you. And so Holy Spirit, I just pray that a fresh flooding even that was in worship, this beautiful sense of your presence. God, would you come and rest on the hearts of people right now? Even as Kara said, I feel like I want to wait in this moment. Lord, I just pray that you would take off baskets right now. Baskets of shame baskets of the unknown, of fear, of anger, of injustice. God, would you take off the baskets right now? Lord, you gave us freedom. We are therefore free to stand and shine with joy and happiness. God, would you even teach me to laugh and celebrate in the suffering, in the pain, in the unknown. Romans 5, it says, Therefore, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and this hope does not put us to shame because God loves. And He has poured out our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Holy Spirit, we just surrender to Your will again. God, for those oppressions that are holding us back into who we're called to be. God, I even pray for those who have just lost hope today. Those who cannot see right now. God, would you illuminate their hearts, their souls again. Lord, that you have always been and you always will 
You are Alpha and Omega. You are at the beginning of the problem. You're in the middle of the problem. And you're on the other side. You already see the answers. You already see the future. And you know. And you are in control of all things. Yet, you ask us to co-labor with you. Yet, these broken vessels you invite into the space to shine joy into this world, to be a smile, to be a good worker, to be someone who is optimistic because of the kingdom of God, not because of my circumstance or status or situation, but because of you, King Jesus. So God, we just commit again our lives to joy, to be present to the moment, to be present to other people, to learn joy in the suffering, to learn joy like a child. God, we shake off the chains, the brokenness, and we say, Jesus, come let us learn what it is to be loved by you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst, for righteousness they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, shall they have received mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be God's sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the righteous sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God, we thank you for your blessings. We receive them today. In Jesus' name, amen.